Hello, everybody, and welcome to the first full episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast here in the year 2020. I am your host here on the show. My name, of course, is Colton G, and I am so excited for this, the first full episode of Desert Tiger in 2020, because I am joined by production mastermind Maya Clarity. Maya Clarity is also a singer, but we're going to get into all of that very, very soon. Some of you who have been listening to the show for a while might have heard of Maya Clarity before, might have heard of his production magic work that he's just so absolutely wonderful at doing. When I had discussions with a good friend Illvibe on past episodes of the podcast, well now Meyer Clarity is stepping onto the show himself to, well, let you know more about Meyer Clarity, his world, what he's going on, and how he got to this point in his life. And let me tell you, it's pretty damn inspirational, but we're going to give you a little more of a description on Meyer before we jump into that episode as well, but there's some business we need to take care of first. So first off, I, earlier I said the first full episode of Desert Tiger. That's because we got bonus episodes rolling now. They're called Stripes. They drop like every so often. It's not like a set amount of times that you're going to get them. They just drop on Tuesdays at randomly. You're going to see them here and there. And on the first episode of Stripes, I actually explained why this episode is dropping on a Friday. That's because we are changing our release date to Friday from Thursday just because it lines up with new music releases. It just makes sense. I also want to take a moment to shout out ilovedtp.com because that's the place where you're going to go ahead and get yourself decked out in all the latest and greatest Desert Tiger podcast swag, gear, clothes, whatever you want to call it. It's fresh. You cop it. You wear it. You rep the show every single place you go in front of your friends, family, and even your enemies. And I love you for it. And the show is also brought to you this week by the leading combat sports streaming website and app for boxing, MMA, and pro wrestling. And of course, that is Fight.TV. You can find them in your app store. And it is also brought to you by Fiverr. Because if you are looking for a freelancer to help you bring your vision to the next level, maybe help you delegate your task list, let me tell you, Fiverr is the place to do it. F-I-V-E-R-R. And all right, let's get rocking. Meyer Clarity has been lasering in on his focus over the last few years, and after deciding to take the wheel in more ways than just one, he now sees his true vision clearer now than ever. Moving forward into the future with a new, more polished approach, his label, No Damn Good Entertainment, And 18, that's right, 18 plus months of sobriety after over a decade of substance abuse. Meyer now takes the opportunity to share his road of recovery through more than just song. His latest single, Love Me When I'm High, which you're going to hear right away here, and its accompanying music video are just a part of the positive change and the shift to show the beauty in finding and accepting oneself that Meyer currently happens to be on. Love Me When I'm High not only begins a new sound and vision for Meyer Clarity, 
It is also the first single on his upcoming album, Not Afraid of the Dark. An album that Meyer promises is as uniquely him as ever before, exploring the various aspects of his heart, well, like never before. Today on the show, I am extremely excited to be joined by Meyer Clarity as we discuss his latest single, Love Me When I'm High, plus the amazing music video that goes along with it. We also talk a little bit about his upcoming album, Not Afraid of the Dark, plus the new sound. Well, it's a little bit of a bringing on of sound he studied beforehand. We're going to discuss that, and we're going to discuss how it has evolved from over the years and all the other things that Meyer has worked on. And of course, we're also going to discuss Meyer's path to sobriety as a recovered alcoholic. I am extremely excited for you to hear my conversation with Meyer Clarity. We get very, very deep on this one. And well, before we go ahead and get into this, why don't we go and play that new single for you right now? This is Love Me When I'm High. What's another battle to a level of gold? Where my self-control ain't no self-control. Always love me when I'm high, never when I'm low. You won't let it go, you won't let me go.
the Desert Tiger Podcast. And sorry, I'm a little bit late, dude. My computer was being stupid. <laughs> Don't worry. I know that world all too well. <laughs> I can only imagine. Oh, Travis. It's crazy. You get to thinking that like there's some evil robots out there against you or something. <laughs> How you doing, man? I'm doing pretty good. Pretty good, man. Pretty good to be speaking with my clarity myself. How are you this morning, my dude? I'm good, man. I'm good. I'm just waking up. I've got my coffee. Nice. Uh, I woke up 15 minutes ago, so I think this is like <laughs> prime Meyer clarity, and then it's all downhill from here. <laughs> <laughs> Get you at the start, because after that, it's all it's just snowballs, right? <laughs> exactly. Then I like fully wake up, and then I remember how to complain about shit, and then it's all bad news. <laughs> <laughs> uh, at least you can be honest yeah. about it, right? Like, <laughs> oh yeah, you know, awareness and all that. But, yo, uh, real quick, I want to say thank you for having me on the show. By the way, I actually have an excerpt of the show from when you interviewed Illy and he talked about my production a little bit so we have a previous mutual collab in some way shape or form yes I've actually wanted to have you on the show for a while now so I'm glad that we could finally bridge that gap in between and make this thing happen hell yeah well that's what's up hell yeah sweet so yeah what's good man what you got? What you got for me today? Okay, well, let's start with um, where was your first impressions with music and when did you decide you wanted to pursue music? And I know like for a lot of people, it's either like getting an instrument or something like that. What was your key moment in actually pursuing music where you actually realized this was something you enjoyed and you began to learn the processes that you have crafted and refined. So I literally just told the story yesterday and I told it in the most like rambly fucked up way. So I'm going to try and do it better this time. (laughs) Basically the first time I like noticed music even as like a thing was probably like I was on this um, bus ride to Quebec with my mom because we were visiting over in Quebec City. Uh, she's very Canadian. And, uh, yeah, she had this uh, Walkman, this, like, CD player, and she was listening to Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. And I was bored, so I wanted to listen for a bit, and I took it, and I got hooked on track six, which is uh, getting better all the time. And I don't know, there's just something about it that was like, oh, I think I might like music. So that was, like, the first little ember. And then let me preface that with saying that I was always kind of like this attention-seeking kid so like in terms of you know being performative or whatever that was always kind of like built into the dna like i used to uh like i'll do all the school plays i would sign up for all the drama classes so i was always comfortable on stage but i think the thing that i like more about music than acting was that you could say what you wanted to say versus what someone else had written for you to say and I think I really liked that. And I doubled down on that later when I was in grade seven. Uh, my buddy David gave me uh, uh, an Eminem CD back in the day. Uh, rest in peace, David. And yeah, I just sort of listened to like how angry and like personal all the lyrics were. And I was just like, okay, so you can really just talk about whatever the fuck is going on in your head. And, you know, I'd had like a pretty bumpy upbringing and there was like a lot of 
anger and like misplaced rage and I don't really know how to communicate that properly. So the fact that I was like, wait a minute, there's this whole medium that I can just put all of this into and it's fine and no one's going to give me shit for yelling or talking about like cutting someone's fucking head off or something. I was like, yeah, all right, sign me up. So yeah, I just started <laughs> writing hella rap songs and you know, they started off as like, Whenever anyone starts writing, you don't really know what you're talking about. You're probably trying to write about gangster shit that you don't live. And uh, luckily, I had a mentor that uh, lived just upstairs in the same building. And so he kind of took me under his wing. He's like, man, you ain't no fucking gangster. You don't rap about guns. Rap about what the fuck's going on in your life. I was like, okay. So, yeah, that was kind of like the first little step into it. It was like a combination of a Beatles CD and an Eminem CD. It's a very interesting combination where one group definitely, even though they were refined and pushed and um, presented in a very specific way near the end of their career, and definitely near the Sgt. Pepper's album, were definitely starting to step into their own brand and their own personality, and then Eminem, someone who's very powerful with his personality as well. Yeah, no doubt. I think that's definitely... Well, just for musicians, people are attracted to characters, you know, like a lot of the time. But you can, um, I don't know, I'm, I'm sure there's a case study to be made for, like, you look at uh, people's favorite artists and you try to figure out why they're their favorite artists. And it's like, I don't think it's based alone off the music. I think, like, people buy into a character they like. You know, like, let's take Post Malone, for example. I'm sure a lot of people feel like, oh, Post Malone seems like a chill dude. I like his energy. And then the reason he gets to stick around is because, like, oh, but he actually makes good music that I like to listen to as well. So I think there's, like, a marriage between, like, character and quality content that allows you to stay in the conversation. Absolutely. You have to be able to connect with that character. I also work in the pro wrestling world, and it's the same thing. If you can't connect oh, with the character who's on stage, then it's not really going to go very far. Now, that's just funny to me, though, because, like, I'm just trying to picture, like, deep emotional connection before this guy, like, beats the fuck out of someone with a chair. Some, well, I don't know a lot about the pro wrestling world. Uh, I'm picturing the theatrical side of everything. Um, so, basically, like, I'm the referee, so I'm the balance between good and evil, because there's, like, a heel in the ring who's, like, the bad guy, and there's a baby face in the ring, and he's the good guy, and then there's a balance between the two, and I sort of, like, help tell the story of who's the bad guy and who's the good guy. That's what's up. I love the industry terms, too. There's a baby face and a, and a what? A heel. A heel. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think <laughs> I'd know this from watching Glow, but I, no. <laughs> <laughs> they, haven't, they haven't gotten that far into some of these things. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Well, that's cool, though. But yeah, that's exactly it, though. You gotta, like, you know, make people root for you as a character mm-hmm. in some way. Or hate you. <laughs> true. Very true, and that works for some artists as well, where the people's hate for them somehow creates the ability for them for people to watch their stuff and go, ah, I can't believe that this person's happening. And like sometimes it happens all the time where they always say, once you make it, that's when you get haters. Exactly. I was like, I think for a lot of artists, people kind of teeter on that, and they try to figure it out. Maybe not for a lot of artists, but for me, I was like, shit. I don't know if I want to be, like, the guy that everyone loves or the guy that everybody hated. But then, like, now I'm in a space where it's like, oh, 
No, easy answer. I don't want to be hated by everyone. That would suck. Like, that would be a <laughs> shitty legacy to leave behind. Like, you don't want that. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah, but, like, when you're younger and more impressionable, I think, like, success is more of the goal rather than, like, being well-rounded as a person. Um, yeah, you, you kind of, like, trying to figure out who you are as a character. Mm-hmm. No, and as you grow as a person, too, you start to... Re- sort of realizing too is like man if people treated me like this like yeah yeah exactly i would go crazy <laughs> yeah that's too well it's, you know you just sort of like get a clearer perspective after 25 for sure which sucks for all these artists that die before 25 because they ain't really like you know, let's, let's talk about that for two seconds let's just say that like man it's really rough for all these artists that keep passing away from drug overdoses prior to 25 because there really is like a mental clarity that comes after that and that allows you to like reassess your you know drug use and like whether or not you're band-aiding shit so mm-hmm. shout out to everyone that never got that opportunity oh i mean to be robbed when you're only like maybe a quarter maybe a fifth of your life had you lived to old age it's to like speak to what these people may have been able to achieve or what they would have learned as well or what they would have grown into as human beings is it's very tragic exactly that's kind of what like i don't want to put myself on a pedestal that is like undeserved or anything but like sometimes i I sort of look at it like i might be the lucky one in the sense that like for a while i was always like oh man i've I've been doing this for so long how come i ain't been discovered doing this for so long everyone's sleeping on me yada 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 uh but then you know i got to this point where like fuck i think i might be like the last one out of that like freshman class that i was like competing with and like you know i'm still underground as shit but i'm just like i think that being this underground for this long allowed me to like learn some non-music related like survival skills that had I like been hit with fame at like a younger age, those lacking those skills probably would have like led to an overdose. So long story short, I'm I'm pretty grateful that I didn't blow up too early at overdose. Hey, like you said, you're one of the lucky ones, and fortunately, it doesn't happen for everyone. But thankfully, you had the opportunity to learn while you were pursuing your craft. Yeah, exactly. And you know, I definitely fucked up along the road. I've had some pretty public drunk episodes but that's life right (laughs) hey hey it definitely happens for sure i mean sometimes sometimes you have to make an ass of yourself in order to realize that you have to do something about it well it's like that rock bottom notion right like you're not gonna see up while you're falling you know Mm -hmm. and rock bottom is possibly the best place to set your feet and pick yourself back up I was just saying this yesterday, how, like, there's some sort of relieving feeling about rock bottom, because it's like, you know which way is up now, and so it's like, you can finally establish a sense of direction, as opposed to, like, when you're still trying to hit it, you're like, I don't know where the fuck up is and where the fuck down is, you know. (laughs) Well, exactly, and you never know exactly where bottom is either, because when you're falling, like, it's hard to see the bottom, too, and when it's coming at you, you get a little bit of that g-force and maybe it's coming at you a little bit slower than it is because you got that falling motion where time seems to slow down and oh dang (laughs) yeah exactly no worries so we touched on how you found a mentor so he gave you a little bit of a check on lyrics and everything else what else did he get to teach you while you were underneath his wing 
Well, firstly, I want to acknowledge that I'm the type of person that needs too many mentors. <laughs> I've had a lot of mentors in my life. I think it stems from, I don't know, probably childhood. But, yeah, so I stay seeking out mentors. I don't know whether it's here or there. It's just funny to me. But, anyways, this guy was like, this guy Saji from the Northern Lights. Um, essentially, what he did was, Firstly, he helped me, like, focus on, like, what I wanted to write about and, like, kind of schooled me on, like, you know, you don't do this. You ain't a gangster. Don't talk about shit you don't know. People see through it. You're going to look like an idiot. Uh, secondly, he brought me to the studio, my first studio called The Laboratory, uh, which was at 1180 St. Antoine. And um, that's where I kind of just sort of absorbed like how the process went about of like recording doing the backs and doing like doubling up the hook bringing in the beat and everything and so i would come to a couple of these sessions and if it was time maybe i'd like spit a verse or something and then i'd bring a couple beats i had made and try to get them placed on the album and everyone was like polite about it but obviously you know i'm just a 13 year old kid trying to like <laughs> get them to rap on shit that i made wasn't working out but i ended up booking at that studio and working there for like next six-ish years until it closed down. Uh, and so that kind of like turned into another mentor where I had uh, this guy, Mitch, La uh, Mitch Album, who goes by Lab Rat or went by Lab Rat. Uh, and I was sort of learning from him as well in terms of like engineering. And he also had this rap group called Community, and they were like super conscious. So I was like, oh, there's this whole other side of hip hop that's conscious hip hop where it's like the opposite of, you know, some of like the more aggressive negative type shit I've been listening to. It was cool to find that out. And then in terms of like mentorship, I guess I'd say that like, yeah, I'm, I'm lucky to have had as many mentors as I've had. So I've had like Saji who kind of schooled me on like how to write and like, you know, just like the culture itself, like hip hop. Uh, and then I had Lab Rat who kind of schooled me a bit about like recording. Uh, and then I started recording at um, DRX Studios. So shout out to Mike Drex. He, shot me, he taught me so much about comping Pro Tools and like editing vocals and running a studio even. Like I credit him a lot too. Um, yeah, and this has been crazy. Like I've just been learning from people left, right, and center. So I've been very fortunate in that respect. Oh, so one thing that I caught you say there, you've been making beats since you were like 13. Yes. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Oh, shit. I guess I should talk about that more often. <laughs> I, I try to do heavy research, and that's one thing that I didn't see was you've actually been making beats for pretty much half your life. That's crazy. Yeah. Well, I mean, like rapping and beat making started at the same time. So it's just like I've been doing this shit since I was 12, essentially. Beat started at 13, but yeah. Okay, so you actually had the opportunity to get into a studio and the opportunity to work in a studio from an early age, which is valuable experience, absolutely. That's true, eh? There's not really a lot of 12-year-olds in studios, now that I think about it. <laughs> <laughs> a bad baby, but that's it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, even me, like, I couldn't even get, like, work at a radio station when I was 21. I couldn't even get hired as, like, a roadie. <laughs> well, there's a difference between getting hired and just being around, because I didn't get hired for shit. I never got hired for shit. I was just around, and then I built my own shit off the previous blueprints. 
that's part of mentorship too a little bit of um what what do they call that um internship yeah actually i did work briefly for the drx studios and it was i'll tell you about this because it's funny i used to clean jam spaces bro you know those like dirty ass like punk rock jam spaces where the motherfuckers piss in 40s and they play horrible music Oh, I know those places. I've played in those bands. <laughs> yeah. So I used to have to clean that. And they all, like, hated the landlord, so they, like, would trash the place and, like, piss everywhere. And then I'm there, like, for my fucking 10 bucks an hour cleaning some bullshit. I'm like, <laughs> I'm one of you guys. This is stupid. <laughs> yeah. I'm the guy. Well, I, just because you hate the owner doesn't mean you have to hate me. The owner's not cleaning shit. The owner never cleans anything. Don't track the place to <laughs> back the owner. You're just hurting one of your own. That's stupid. No doubt. Okay, so at what point did you start drinking then? I think I started drinking around 16. So I just had, like, my friend group drank heavily. Mm-hmm. And I hung out with the punk rockers because uh, I was weird. And they were weird. Um, so yeah, we just sort of like, at first I was the kid that didn't drink and I was like this straight edge kid that was just always at the party and just doing the most to like entertain people, uh, just being like ridiculous. But then I started drinking and just sort of blended in and yeah, it was, uh, (laughs) it was dope. Drinking was fun. It fucking carried me over because I was like a socially awkward kid. And so I think, like, yeah, and so, like, you know, when you got social anxiety, I pr- I'm pretty sure I drank myself into being an extrovert at this point, because, like, I didn't start out as an extrovert. I had a lot of social anxiety, but, yeah, must have killed those brain cells or something along the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand that on feeling as well, too, because that's one of the reasons that I actually crawled into a bottle was to to try and like escape and try and like become comfortable within different environments and different groups and I think that's why a lot of people get started is for social reasons at what point did it begin to progress into an actual problem for you Mm. um yeah that's tough because like things might not necessarily be a problem depending on the environment you're in kind of thing yes so like for example, I was in Montreal where, like, it's kind of going to go under the radar if you got a drinking problem because everybody has a drinking problem in Montreal because there's what beef. You just party and you have fun. So it's, it's kind of harder, but, like, you kind of know on some level. So I would do a couple things that I think were, like, misguided attempts to address my drinking like moving to Toronto, probably. <laughs> like I, I moved to Toronto. One of the reasons was like, okay, I'm constantly surrounded by party culture. I need to like hoist myself up and dry out and like just work on music. And it eventually worked, but <laughs> that wasn't the key. But um, I guess okay. So yeah, to answer your question, once I noticed there was an issue. Yeah, there were a couple times. Like for example, I had this Yellow Wolf show that like. I was the only opener at a 45-minute set, and the last half of the set, I completely forgot all the lyrics because I was just, like, super crunk on stage. It was fucked up. And so I had to freestyle the last half of the set, and I got away with it, but I still feel shitty that I kind of 
crapped all over that opportunity and made an idiot of myself. Um, and then there were like other times as well. Like I had, uh, we would be like on a tour in Barcelona with Illy and then like Illy would be telling me that like, man, I think you got a drinking problem. And then it would turn into like, I woke up on the floor of a hostel, uh, and then everyone had gotten on a plane without me. And I was like, Oh yeah, this is bad kind of thing. So Dang. there were a couple signs that was like, oof, all right, maybe you need to cut it out. And then I had one real bad night. Um, and this was like the catalyst. This was the rock bottom for me. Uh, I pretty much had a real bad night that like blew up my relationship. And as a result, I kind of had to like be homeless for a while and sort of re put the pieces together. And so during that period, I quit drinking. I reached out to a couple friends that were in AA, uh, and just sort of like got my life together and started the studio. And that's when I was working, started working heavier with heavy ox. And yeah, so like that was like, you know, the wake up call was that night. It was like a couple of days before my birthday. Um, <clears throat> and the crazy thing was like that bad night was like, okay, yeah, no more drinking. This is like the wake up call. You wasted too much of your life. You got to like really fucking focus. And so I made that call. And then like three weeks later, Mac Miller died. And I was like, fuck, I'm really happy I made this fucking call. Because I was like, I know where he was at. He just made a mistake. It was just stupid mistake bullshit. And it's so easy for that to happen to anybody when they're drunk. Oh, easily. Yeah, and I was just like, I can't keep doing this thing where there's like a chance I'll wake up dead. Like, I was, yeah, I was acting crazy when I'd be on the bottle and like drinking and being suicidal and shit. So like, yeah, you can risk it if you have like something that you prioritize more, which is music, and you know. You got to really, like, put your attention and focus and eggs in that basket and quit fucking around. So that's kind of what I was telling myself. So you put, really put the axe to the grindstone and went to work and really used that as one of the methods and ways to help you get through this process. Exactly. I think it helped me that I had, like, this goal, you know, like, because I have, like, a thing that I'm always working on. It's, like, this passion. It's music. So there's always that that's nagging me in the back of the head. I don't know what that's like if you don't have that, you know? Mm-hmm. So I, I imagine that might be more difficult, probably, because you don't have a... Well, or maybe you just have a voice telling you that you're a fuck-up. But then there's no clear question. <laughs> but, yeah. So... Sorry, what was the question again? <laughs> uh we were just saying uh putting the nose to the grindstone and using music is one of the methods to help with this process right true so yeah basically the thing was like i doubled down on my therapist because that was like rent for the brain and i really wanted to like sort out why i was drinking what i was trying to bandage so that helped uh and then i went to the gym more to just like exercise the demons out kind of thing that helped and then yeah music just to like put all the thoughts into perspective that was like my magic recipe awesome so you've definitely found a few different options that allowed you to not only progress yourself your career but also help heal yeah exactly and like you know it's not the go-to manual for everybody but those like things really helped me uh and then cbd oil just to like chill the anxiety out because that's just dope <clears throat> yeah for sure and 
that's everyone's reasons for why they get into these things are different and everyone's reasons for why they get clean are different and it's almost a reason why a lot of people feel alone when they're coming through that experience i find and (laughs) it's just it is it's you're just going through your paces it's not necessarily that you're alone because you're not the only alcoholics that's going through it but you're the like you're the only person that you know that has your specific encounters and experiences that's going through this moment well actually not so much because like for me a lot of the artists i listen to all had to go through it so i just saw it as like a rite of passage like okay if i want to be that kind of artist then i gotta encounter that kind of adversity and like make it through that you know so like i look up to like royce the five nine for example he's like probably one of the best shining examples of like a fucking you know, well-adjusted artist out there that speaks, like, just straight-up facts. I don't know. He's just one of the dopest people that got his alcoholism together and also talks really well about therapy. So, like, I strive to go in that direction with my stuff. So, yeah, I guess you don't really feel alone because you look at other artists and you see that, like, a lot of people have gone through that trajectory. So, like, this is just something i got to do. And then I think at the same token... I was kind of being overworked by the heavy ox label. So I don't know if I even had that much of an opportunity to be alone, which is just in a curse. Um, so yeah, that's good. I guess like, you don't want to be alone with your thoughts, right? Cause that's when you start drinking. Mm-hmm. But you also need the time in order to take some of those thoughts on your own too, and go through them. Yeah. But that's where therapy helps. Cause that's doing that in a controlled environment where you won't, spill over into emotional territory that'll lead you to bandage it if you have a good therapist (laughs) so yeah you're still like processing those emotions but you're doing it in a way that's like not destructive you know yes absolutely and that's something i didn't find therapy until i was about three years into my recovery process and like i was actually on the verge of relapsing and therapy was possibly one of the things that saved me because it helped teach me those things that why I wanted to drink and do other things so that's really I commend you for going and taking therapy is one of those first steps as well because not everybody does that yeah and that's crazy that they don't recommend that because like the fuck is a AA meeting gonna do (laughs) that's why I never went (laughs) I've been one and then I left was it. I was like, this doesn't help anyone. Um, I never went because my grandpa went five separate times and he ended up relapsing every single time and he drank himself to death at the age of 65. And that like taught me, I was like, I like, this isn't going to do it for me. I've got to do this for myself. Dang. It's dark. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, the therapy is really like, that's the secret thing. And I think that's what like AA gets confused because there is a therapeutic aspect to it when people talk in group, but that's not enough. You really need to like one-on-one figure out what your problems are because everyone's got a unique life and a unique reason for drinking. And you don't really get time to discover that when, you know, you're in this sad church basement with like a creepy old guy hitting on you in between 70 cigarette breaks and stale coffee. (laughs) Like, what the fuck is the point of that? No, I'm out. I'm getting the therapy. It's not helping anybody because like you and then between those 70 people, how often do you get the opportunity to speak and actually get your story out? Yeah. And sorry, let me uh, rephrase. I'm not the one who's being hit on, but like I went there and it was like me, 
uh, another girl my age, and then like 12 80-year-old French-Canadian dudes. <laughs> and they're just all like, oh, God. It, it, it was just like, oh, bro, this is an AA meeting. Why are you trying to pick people up at AA meetings? You're just here to get better. This is whack. And then like, yeah, she left as a result because she felt mad uncomfortable. And I'm like, well, yo, this is not what AA meetings are supposed to be. You know, it's supposed to feel uncomfortable. This is stupid. Get a therapist. But anyways, I don't want to trash AA because that's probably not a good look on me. So <laughs> I'm going to just say that I don't think it's the solution for me. No, exactly. And I'm sure it works for some people, but it definitely was not the solution for myself either. And if it does work for some people, fantastic. I'm happy it did work for you, but sometimes you have to find your own path. Exactly. It seems like a community-based accountability system, but I ain't part of that fucking community. I don't know no one in there, so I'm gonna just do it my way. <laughs> yeah, it was dope, though. It was good to, like, sort it out. And yeah, therapy is like rent for the brain, man. That's That's the secret. <laughs> It really, really is. <laughs> it's like you, you got to live up there 24 hours. This this is very true because, I mean, if you're going to be spending that sort of amount of time anywhere, you, you definitely want to try and make it as comfortable as you possibly can. And we're going to be jumping back into this conversation with Meyer Clarity very soon. A little bit of a change of pace as we jump back into the music convo. With that recent shift in sound that he's been going through, we're going to dive more into that. Of course, we're going to be playing you another track off of his 2019 album, Not All Heroes Wear Capes, Volume 2. That track being called Not All The Way Down. You're going to hear it as soon as after this word from our sponsors. Of course, you guys know the best place to support Desert Tiger always is and always will be I love DTP.com because it's where you go to grab the gear so you can rep the show every single place that you are in front of your friends, family, and even your enemies. But if you want to take it that one extra little step further, why don't you go ahead and check out our sponsors. Are you maybe somebody like myself who just can't get enough pro wrestling action? Maybe you're into MMA or maybe your love is boxing. Whatever combat sport you're into, let me tell you about your new favorite website and that is Fight TV. Fight TV is the leading digital streaming platform for combat sports featuring over a thousand live events a year and whether you're looking for boxing, MMA, or pro wrestling, www.fight.tv as well as the Fight TV app well, it's your best option for getting your fix for all sorts of high-impact action from whatever ring, octagon, cage that fills your need. With both mind-blowing pay-per-views as well as quality free weekly events, that's right, free shows every week that you can watch right now. And all those pay-per-views that you purchase, you can go back and watch them at any point. So it's not just one and done. You can relive your favorite moments again and again and again over at www.fight.tv as well as at the Fight TV app inside your app store. Go and download it right now and get in the action. This weekend, you can catch Impact Wrestling's Hard to Kill, featuring wrestling legends like Ken Shamrock, Rhino, ODB, 
Rob Van Dam, and the main event is the unbreakable Tessa Blanchard looks to change history as she challenges Sammy Callahan in an intergender match for the Impact World Championship. And all that happens this Sunday, January the 12th, and you can find it on Fight TV. Do you happen to be a business owner looking for a new logo? An artist looking for some new cover art? A YouTuber or a Twitch streamer who's possibly looking to add some pizzazz to their page? Maybe a podcaster who's looking for somebody to clean up and edit their show? Well, sometimes you might be a little bit too busy to do these things yourself. Or maybe, maybe you just need to find the right quality creator this is that you can help delegate your to-do list so that you can excel at what you do best. And let me tell you, friends, this is where Fiverr is going to help you out. Fiverr is the world's largest and most affordable and easy-to-use digital marketplace where busy professionals such as yourself can choose from thousands of talented freelancers in over a hundred different categories like graphics and design, video and animation, music and audio, digital marketing, to name a few of the wonderful services that you can find on Fiverr and it's so easy to use. You just visit Fiverr. That's Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R, don't forget that second R, and search whatever it is that you happen to be looking for in that handy dandy search bar that's going to pop up right in front of you and bang, tons of professionals ready to handle whatever it is you need. You want to refine your search? Go ahead and find the perfect freelancer to help you raise your vision to the level that you truly see it achieving. You can do so at Fiverr. Once again, that is F-I-V-E-R-R dot com. your lipstick and I was watching the minutes low two cynical loners looking for love in the company of the miserable a living rendition of sitting Nancy only hear the bass of the wall as we sit here dancing splash a little water on my face I'm feeling antsy hit the dance floor a vision moving at half speed all black everything while it chains patches say me sweet nothing's for the backseat of taxis her playing footsie demon playing handsy trading every scar scab stick and poke to match me roaming downtown while my smokes off of strangers liquor in the blood I waited socially anxious Anxious, I'm depressed, you depressed We make a beautiful mess Look into your two pupils and say Break my eyes, turn back to brown Nothing in the mirror now I can't go nowhere but down I can't go nowhere but down Pray this night won't turn to day I just want a time away Get now I can't go nowhere but down Let's go
shimmer under neon lights flashing Faded in the Uber, listening to words from the pastor Turning water to wine, turn a rock to a line Rock bottoms to highs, I'm bored, I'm to a good time I love a be the death of us I'm 92, you 93 Save you a seat in a 27 club, we intertwine Kiss my bloodied up knuckles, I kiss the cuts on your inner thigh We feel deeply pretty, you fuck me like you wish you could kill me Public, private, no limit, any way you can get me Kiss me with lips full of whiskey Having too good a time to be thinking about tomorrow I know I should sober up, but I'm happy and I don't want to fuck normal I'm depressed, you depressed, we make a beautiful mess Looking at my black and pupil, she said Bring my eyes, turn back to brown Nothing in the mirror now I can't go nowhere but down I can't go nowhere but down Pray this night won't turn to day I just want a time away Get now I can't go nowhere but down Let's go Tragic. We advocates for the savage. You told me you was the last of it. You call me out for everything you do, and that's the facts of it. You ratchet, I ratchet. You match it, I match it. We evenly match. Tug of war for the last three laps. Cleaned up, you dragged me right back. My anxiety is feeding your anxiety. You call me a piece of shit, but I'll take it personal. Fuck the world with you. Worse than me, I'm worse than you. But life without you isn't worth it, so I'm willing to die to keep us immortal. Girl, bring my eyes turn back to So I was just going to progress into let's talk about the music aspect now because we've talked a lot about like the recovery and everything else. But were you also here because you've recently released a new single that focuses heavily on that. You're heading up to releasing a new album. It's got a new style to it. And I want to talk about that shift as well. So let's take it back to that move to Toronto first was that move to Toronto also to progress your music career and how did that help you as an artist and how did it lead you to this moment? Yes, it was. Um, well, also I realized I never answered your question about going back to jazz. Um, so I'm going to answer that in this answer. But so firstly, moving to Toronto was just like, I wanted to move to Toronto because it's like, you got to leave your hometown, right? 
and if you want to take this seriously, you throw yourself in the in the fire and see if you can survive. And I think I found my footing in the fire pit. So yeah, moving to Toronto really helped in terms of like, yeah, the music's dope, but like, how do we make this a business? You know, like, how does the industry work? Because in Montreal, it's a lot more just music, music, show, show, shows. And there's not a lot of infrastructure. So that's kind of where it helped. I kind of started to understand the full picture of this thing. Uh, and then, yeah, just talking about like the new sound and the new music coming out, like that's just, it's like the thing I've always, I'm putting out the music I've kind of always wanted to put out now. And I don't know why, for some reason or another, it felt like a lot of my career was me waiting for permission to like do this. Cause it sort of felt like, unless you're a signed artist, you can't really take the risks you want and you gotta yada, yada, yada until you're a signed artist, which you'll realize at a certain point is actually bullshit because if you're doing a bunch of stuff to become a signed artist in your music, chances are people like fans recognize that and they're like, Oh, that's kind of whack. I don't want to listen to that. Uh, versus if you just do the actual thing you want to do in the way you want to do it, people are like, yo, this is dope. I've never heard anything like this before. I'll fuck with it. And going from like the left field inward is like usually the way that like people get signed and like, you know, artists get discovered. It's pretty rare that someone's making like pop music and then a label scoops them up like, yep, here you go. You're what we want. No, I, I haven't really seen that shit to be honest. And then, so just going back into like jazz, I think that was like, the sound's been like all over the map, right? And that ties back into like <clears throat> a lot of what I was doing was like results-based in the sense that like, I would try to like look at myself within the landscape of like every other artist releasing music. So like part of the reason I initially shifted away from jazz and old school shit was because again, Mac Miller came out and this was way back in the day. And I was like, I was setting myself up to be like the kid that was rapping over all these tribe called quest instrumentals and knew all about this old school jazzy shit. And then he came out of the woodwork and did exactly that. And I was like, fuck. I can't do that because that's just going to seem like I'm copying the shit now. And I was like so jaded about it. So that's when I took that pivot into doing more punk related music so that, you know, my immediate circle could get in on it a little more. Cause I was hanging out with the punk rock kids. So a lot of it, you know, no effects and rancid influence and shit like that kind of bled into the music. And then I was setting myself up to be this like, green-haired punk kid and then machine gun kelly came out <laughs> i was like ah everything i do someone comes out so then i pivoted and i was like okay what if i do that but it's a sadder and it's a little more emo and depressing and then little peep came out and i was like okay you know what no i'm gonna just do what i want to do and stop trying to fucking do shit that i think is gonna sell this is stupid yeah, and so that was kind of like the trajectory a little bit. It was like I was trying to fit into a mold, and I was always doing it as a reactionary thing to someone else, and that's not really going to work because, like, yeah, no, don't focus on other people. Focus on you and what you want to do. So to make a long story long, fucking now I'm back at this point where it's like, you know what, I just want to put out the music I want to put out, but I have this 
extensive past of all these different sounds. So they kind of all bleed into this thing. And it's back to like the rooted kind of old school jazzy hip hop thing I wanted to do. But it's got some of those new flavors in there just to show where I've been. It's like, it, you know, it's like the style scene some shit. <laughs> and so it just inevitably, yeah, that comes through. But like, I feel a lot more comfortable to be making the music I want to make and the kind of stuff that I would listen to. And so some of the records are like Kid Cudi meets Arctic Monkeys, because I'm a big fan of that. But then on the other token, some of the shit sounds like a Jamiroquai record, because I grew up listening to so much Jamiroquai. So like, yeah, it's, you know, I'm doing the shit that like resonates with me. And I think that a lot of people are going to fuck with that, especially just based off this first single, because it's like no longer asking for permission, just saying what I want to say, playing what I want to play and doing the stuff I want. And I kind of, even though I'm an independent, I just sort of turned around and started treating myself like a signed artist and was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to just do everything as though I was a signed artist because I know all the ins and outs. Uh, I know how to move this in terms of like PR and everything. So yeah, let's just fucking go. Let's stop waiting. Okay. No, I, I like the mindset. Rather than trying to find a specific niche that was going to work for you and that would somehow be able to help you express your feelings, the different niches that you ended up finding helped you in expressing who you really were. Yeah, I I would say, like, you know, I think I was niche juggling to find the one that was me. (laughs) And so there were a couple Mm -hmm. that weren't good fits. Uh, or, you know, they were dope fits at the time, but like ultimately deep down, it's not who I am. So like, yeah, once you find the one that fits you niche or not, you know, it's like, if you're doing you, you're doing, if people try to attack that, you like, what are you going to, you know, this guy's faking it, faking what, man, I'm just fucking talking about my life. Like I'm not faking anything versus if you're doing a niche that you don't really 127% feel yourself and you might open yourself up to some imposter syndrome. You might take some of those comments to heart. You know, people are like, Oh, he's faking it. Maybe you'll be like, fuck off. But deep down you'll be like, they know, you know, versus now it's like, <laughs> Damn, fuck off, you know? Mm-hmm. It's, pr- it's pretty hard when you're being honest and somebody's just trying to call you out. And I was like, all right, you're just hating because you're hating brothers. Like if, if you can't r- realize that this is truth coming from the heart, then psh- this ain't for you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, and it's more just like <laughs> it's setting yourself up to be able to say that. Like, if you are 100% talking facts and shit that you feel, like, no one's going to be able to take that away from you. And any comments people say are just going to seem unfounded and stupid to you. Versus if you, on some level, don't 100% believe in what you're doing, then those comments are going to, like, turn into bigger cracks in your armor, you know? No, absolutely. And once they once they start to show that you start to notice the more and more of them that actually are there. Yeah, exactly. And so like, you know, there was a lot of that. And even in like the co opting era, people would be like, Oh, he's trying to sound like Lil Peep and I was like, Ah, fuck. Maybe I am a little bit and it was like frustrating and shit. But now I've just got this like yeah, I got this own thing and I don't think anyone sounds like that. So I'm stoked. All right, fantastic. And let's talk about that decision to take a little bit more control of the wheel with this new progression, the No Damn Good Entertainment, and of course, the new single, Love Me When I'm High. 
this sound had already like you can tell the progression already began with not all heroes wear capes volume two in tracks like um all the way down and things like that the sound was already like beginning to progress there but now we're like fully stepping into that new sound so let's talk about this new track and how you feel about it what you're trying to express with it and all that stuff so i'm glad you're able to discern that too on the last album because last album was half new and half old content so now i'm basically like just to preamble a bit like the not all heroes were capes album like I recorded a, a, a full-length 17-track album back in 2015, and then due, due to some just like procedure shit, it didn't come out, and so I started splitting it up into three EPs and peppering in new shit. So that was Not All Heroes Wear Capes 1 and Not All Heroes Wear Capes 2. So that's why some tracks sound more me versus some sound less like me, uh, would be why. <clears throat> and so now, like going forward, the reason that you don't get that is because I'm like, nah like i missed the opportunity on that maybe i'll release it as like a 10-year collector's edition but like i'm not gonna try to put in old stuff that doesn't fit me anymore i'm just doing like the brand new me minimal dope keep it moving forward and that feels good it's not like i'm trying to like sell shit you know so now that i've got this like independent sort of blueprint i can attack things the way I want, I could prioritize things the way I want. The whole no damn good thing was like, that's been through a lot actually, because it started out as like a studio back in 2017 in Scarborough. And uh, once that was short lived, that turned into like just a company that I had registered and now it's like a label. So it's been through a lot. Yeah, it's basically just, it's, it's cool to be able to like, have the wheel after a very very long period of sort of trusting other people to drive and so now that like i kind of know what direction i'm going in it's a little more comforting and so i'm like it's like a clear vision you're like you know you want to drop these tracks at these times you know you want to say this with your record and you just got a lot of runway now because a lot of distractions i think a, a lot of like what shape the new sound was like you know, the extensive year I just had with Heavy Ox producing a lot of their songwriter content. And um, after I stepped away from that, I kind of just brought all those skills with me to my records and just sort of started applying a lot of, like, what we did to other artists' stuff to my shit, and it sounded dope. That's awesome. So once again, taking those different aspects and different sounds and different niches, let's say, that have... you've been experiencing yourself and delving yourself into and bringing them all back together. Yeah, in a way. And it was like a lot of what we were doing with the songwriting stuff was like set up for label artists kind of thing. Like we would do a lot of vocal treatments that you might hear on a Billie Eilish record or some shit. And so it's cool to just take that technique and apply it to like this totally different thing and see how that translates. You're like, why do you have Billie Eilish and vocal processing on an underground hip-hop record? <laughs> and I was like, because I feel like it. Because <laughs> that's what I want to do, and it sounds dope. It sounds way doper, because now you got that cool effect, but it's not talking about some 
made up boy <laughs> oh man it sounds so dope especially like love me when i'm high at the beginning and you have that voice in the background just like with that different levels and like that like oh yeah and it's like oh man that sounds so sick <laughs> thanks man yeah i was hoping people like that and also that's just like another thing was just sort of discovering like my voice's capabilities because like real talk i had a whole ass career of people telling me i can't and shouldn't sing and now i'm kind of just like well, that's stupid because I clearly can and will. Mm-hmm. And so now I'm kind of discovering what my voice is capable of and all the things in my voice that people like, particularly like the uh, kind of shit that I do. People kind of dig that. So, um, well, it's unique. Yeah, I'm moving forward in that. And that's a good feeling because, like, yeah, it's like your whole life people are like, oh, you can't sing, you can't sing, only to just realize down the line it's like wait a minute i can sing better than most of these motherfuckers <laughs> and then you just start singing your heart out and you're just like oh shit this is fun now yeah. some of some of the biggest singers in the world d- couldn't sing worth a shit yeah kurt cobain exactly and people don't there's two types of singing though there's like technically correct singing which i don't want to listen to and then there's like this guy's got a cool unique voice and i like the way he sings and s- says shit you know, it's it's good to stand out sometimes. Yeah, exactly. Like you don't need a perfect voice; you just need a distinct voice. Like if we take a second to think about a lot of singers we like, they don't have perfect voices. Like I don't know, definitely Jamiroquai is probably not like the ideal picture of a perfect voice. Oh, not not at all. But he he conquers it, and he does it with enough confidence and bravado that you. You want to move and groove to that because, dang, he's having a good time, so I might as well, too. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's what it is. It's confidence that, you know, you sing it like you know you should be there asking. And that goes back to, like, no longer asking for permission. And that's kind of like the whole Meyer Clarity 2020 thing is like, yeah, no, no more asking for permission. I know what I'm good at. I know what I want to hear. I know what people would like. And I'm going to do all of those things. Just sit back and watch or throw money at it if you're smart. <laughs> Is that um, ideal uh, also what you're taking in with a lot of your music videos right now? You're pushing into a lot more um, like mini movie-esque ideas with like your last two music videos. Is that sort of the same idea you're doing with those as well? Yes, absolutely. That just came from like also finding the right fit in terms of like video partners because uh, you want to find someone that's going to listen to your ideas and like communicate it in the same tone. So I've been really fortunate working with uh, Aaron Sambi because he really gets like the tone I'm going for. Uh, So on that last video, that shit was dope. And then All the Way Down was done by Lisa Felin, who really just knocked that out of the park. And uh, yeah, it's just about like getting video people to see like a vision essentially. So I remember there'd be some other times where it was like I was trying to communicate an idea and it always turned into like a like a budget thing. And then if it wasn't a budget thing, it would be like a location thing. And then the locations would never be like everything they could be. And so you would just see that like, okay, this is like a low priority list item for this company. So this video is probably not going to turn out the way I want it. So yeah, you just got to find the right people to work with. And then also you just, as you go along, you like refine the process in a way where it's like, this wouldn't be hard to film. We could do it this way, this fast, and it'll look like this and be impactful. 
And a lot of what I want to do, like, video-wise is, like, stick to the less is more concept and just sort of explore, like, you know, I don't have the luxury of, like, getting lavish sets and extras, but what I do have is a pretty creative-ass brain that can think of something that won't cost a lot but will be very valuable to make and display. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, like, yeah, like, a good example of that for is uh, I don't know if you ever seen the slippers video. Yes, I have. Okay, perfect. So then there you go. Like that was the first time I ever did something like that. Was like, okay, I want to do a video for this. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to write a bunch of words on labels and take photos. And that was, you know, start to finish me. And uh, my ex at the time helped me with that. But yeah, it was like it's a dope process. So that felt good to have like some sort of troll. You know? No, that's awesome, and it's awesome that you were able to find those partners that were also able to help bring out that vision and help like make it what it is right now. It's incredible videos. Well, thanks, man. Appreciate that. I'm glad they're translating. Definitely, for sure. All right, I have one last question I want to ask after this one, but of course, where can you know, the listeners of the podcast find out more about Meyer Clarity, and what do you have coming down the pipe? Dang, there's so much. <clears throat> well, you can find me uh, anywhere that you can type Meyer Clarity into, and that's M Y E R C L A R I T Y. Primarily, you should bump me on Spotify because I get paid six cents. <laughs> uh, I'm on YouTube, SoundCloud, Deezer, Napster, anywhere the music you play, Apple Music. Uh, you will find me. You just type in the website slash Meyer Clarity, and I'm usually the first thing that pops up. Um, I got the new single, Love Me When I'm High, that just dropped. Uh, You should peep that if you haven't. And then coming up down the pipeline, I got a show on the 18th in Brampton at Spa One, which I don't know if this is going to drop after that. So if it did, then that was a dope show last night. It was a movie. If not, (laughs) come through. Tomorrow's going to be a movie. Um, So as coming down, I got uh, New School Rules coming up, which I'm stoked for, which is going to be another party in the netherlands dope conference uh and then i got my single one day i'll get my shit together dropping february 27th which is going to be fun that's a funky joint that i think a lot of people are going to like so that's the next one on the horizon and then yeah album's coming in the summer it's called i'm not afraid of the dark it's gonna be fucking fire and i'm really excited we got a lot of features on it and that's it that's the that's the plan for Meyer going forward i'm gonna be in everyone's face all of 2020 i'm not going anywhere tight tight i i'm glad to hear it i can't wait to hear more meyer for sure all right what is the vision for no damn good entertainment going forward do you guys have a studio built do you plan on signing some artists of your own what's the plan for that yes that's a good question currently we have a studio uh and it's more label imprint than like studio but Essentially, I, I signed uh, Skeevious Tips to the label. He's an artist I've been working with out of Toronto. He's got a lot of promising stuff. Uh, kind of sounds like a cross between some of the more like cloud rap, emo wave stuff you've heard, but with you know the rap style that we all know and love growing up, plus some really fire singing. So I signed him because he shows a lot of promise. Uh, I'm probably going to sign a couple other local artists. I just want to build like a like an up and up entity for people that like really take their craft seriously and they like want to push forward, but they may 
have like one or two blind spots in terms of like the process. And so essentially what I do with No Damn Good is it's just like, hey, this is all stuff I've done for my releases. This is like my well-oiled machine. I'm willing to take on other artists to like run them through the machine because I think that it's going to do numbers and it'll do well. So that's kind of like the philosophy behind it. And also, you know, I want to focus on people that got something important to say. Like that's partly why I signed skis is that I really like this message. He really goes to a personal place with it and talks about a lot of interesting things. So I saw value in that. Essentially like the goal for that is to, you know, just keep it running into it's this like self-sustainable thing. And in a perfect world, uh, it might be this thing where I can use some of the profits to like, essentially there's a couple of people whose lives I think I could help out with like getting a personal therapist or like helping out with housing and shit. And so it would be my goal that like down the line, this label generates enough revenue that I can like level the playing field for some people and kind of like redistribute that and give some people access to like, you know, a clearer head and more mental health and shit. Cause I know that like therapy is like, you gotta go private a lot of the time cause the public shit ain't shit. And so I'd want to be able to help with that. But that's, you know, that's like wishful thinking kind of shit. But essentially it's just going to be pushing uh, myself, Skeevious Tips, got a couple of other artists we're looking at. And we're just really going to make a lot of noise with this label for this year and see what, what shakes loose. And it's just like having this thing that's like, hey, we're, we're all lifers. We all know what we're doing. We're all 100% serious with it. Uh, and we're all on the up and up and on the level, and we're not going to fuck around. I was, like, trying to build that, you know? All right. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Yeah. All right. So that's, like, around about way. I got to get, like, a PR spokesperson <laughs> for the label, because I'm not the dude to be talking <laughs> about it. <laughs> no worries, man. No worries. I appreciate it. I appreciate everything that we discussed today, and I appreciate you joining me here today just after you woke up. And I appreciate you having me on the show, Appreciate you having me, man. Ah, well, thank you, thank you. The tracks you heard on today's episode of the Desert Tiger Podcast were Love Me When I'm High, as well as All of the Way Down, and you can find those tracks, as well as the rest of Meyer Clarity's amazing discography on your favorite streaming service. And of course, while you're there checking out his artist page, his profile, you're going to want to go ahead and hit follow while you're there as well so that you can keep up to date on all the upcoming singles as well as that new album that's going to be coming out, Not Afraid of the Dark. I want to take one last minute to thank Meyer Clarity again for joining me here on today's episode of the DTP. And I also want to go ahead and thank Eric Alper for helping set this one up. You guys know You've heard the name. I've thanked EA before. He gives mad love to the DTP, and we give mad love back. Of course, I have to go ahead and thank you guys, the listeners of the Desert Tiger Podcast, those who tuned into today's episode. If you're new to the show, maybe you want to go ahead and consider hitting the follow or subscribe button for Desert Tiger on whatever service you happen to be listening on. Maybe you want to go ahead and follow us on social media. We're Desert Tiger Podcast and Desert Tiger Entertainment. Maybe if you like the show enough, you want to review it. Five stars would be fantastic on iTunes. And of course, if you want to go ahead and share the episode on your social media or 
even in word of mouth, if that's something that you still, one of those people that still does that, that would be fantastic. And of course, another way to support the show is by checking out ilovedtp.com, because that's where you're going to go ahead and get yourself decked out in the latest and greatest Desert Tiger podcast swag. Of course, you can also support our other sponsors as well. Alright, next week on the show, we are going to be joined by pop duo Featurette as we talk about their upcoming album, Dream Riot, and I can't wait to have them on the show. And until then, go ahead, find your mountain, climb to the top. I know it's going to be a difficult journey. Sometimes you slip down, you fall, you slide, but that's a beautiful thing because when you reach the top, it just makes you want to sing from the top of your lungs that much more and let the world hear your beautiful voice. So go ahead and find your mountain. Sing from its top because you do have a beautiful voice in you. You yourself are a beautiful human being. All right, until next week. Bye-bye.